Jason Albert, editor of The High Route, and welcome to episode two of The High Route podcast. In this episode, as we are on the cusp of ski film season, we thought we would chat with Nick Rosen, a filmmaker specializing in climbing films. So if you spend much time at the Real Rock Film Tour, you likely recognize Rosen's voice from their many films. He's also a partner, writer, and producer at Sender Films, and he's played a big part in their two Emmy Award-winning documentaries, Valley Uprising, and most recently, The Alpinist, which is a truly excellent and heavy film. The backstory goes like this. There's a lot of time to chat on the skin track. And this past winter, when Rosen was Bend-based, we went on the occasional ski tour. The conversations were wide-ranging, but had a tendency to circle back to adventure films, and in particular, comparing ski films with climbing films. Sad to say, I did not carry along a recorder on those excursions. But that, in part, is where we're going with Rosen today during our interview. We're going to explore the adventure film genre and what works and sometimes doesn't. Okay, I'm going to take a minute to interrupt the introduction here to plug our new website, The High Route. Anyway, our model at The High Route is pretty simple. We're going to ask for a modest annual subscription fee to access our stories, which, if you think about it, is a rather old school model. However, our podcasts will be free, but are not free to produce. Again, we are reader and listener supported, and we would love your support. You can find us at the following website. Okay, are you ready for this? Because we have hyphens in our name. The-high-route.com. One more time. The-high-route.com. And those hyphens, they are definitely not spelled out. They're just a dash between the words. We get it. It's not the simplest to type in, but we have a simple mission. Cover human-powered turn-making in the backcountry. Okay, Thanks for listening, and here's the show with Nick Rosen. So, Nick, introduce yourself. Who are you? What do you do? And where are you? A lot there, but you know the drill. I'm Nick Rosen, and um, I am one of the filmmakers at Sender Films and the Real Rock Film Tour, and... Right now, I am in a little like phone or calling or podcasting booth at a shared workspace here in Boulder, Colorado. Okay, thank you for taking the time. Also, people might—we're not doing video here, but yeah, I mean, I only got access to the whole. I like to call it the catalog, the real rock catalog. I don't know, like nine months ago, yeah. eight months ago, and I have, like I've told you, I think if you guys went and looked at your data i'm a little compulsive like i've watched some of those you're our biggest fan basically our yeah, most fan such a weird word super fan a bit, yeah fan i yeah fan like <laughs> you're not a fan you're, no i'm a you're, fan you're a hater but like fans you're an like obsessive hate watcher not at all <laughs> no i i i think it says something more about like I probably need some deep therapy. The fact that I've watched like that Dodo series, the eight part series, like Dude, four, there's four not, times. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's healthy. 
Um, <laughs> That's healthy. Okay. Of course, I did give you a free code, so I'm not making any money. You did, and, yeah. but I will tell you that also, like, it's already in my calculus. I'm like, okay, so I need to budget 99 bucks for my fix for next year. That's awesome. I mean, no, it is true. Like, Real Rock Unlimited is designed for people who you know, want to make real rock a part of their lives year round, you know, because it is, it is a big investment for people. Um, you know, you can do a payment plan, but it is a big investment for people. Um, and we try to make it worthwhile with like, you know, exclusive offerings like the Dodo series. Yeah, it's fun. Okay. So before we jump into kind of, uh, climbing and wait, so that plug was not really part of the interview. It's all part of the interview I'm just unless kidding. I'm we just make kidding. it not I'm part of the interview, right? <laughs> That's how I look at this. Like I press record right away because the tastiest okay, cool. shit is usually is in the beginning. Well, or just I'm like, just yeah. I'm just here to sell Real Rock Unlimited memberships, man. So really, know. okay. Well, it's going to be my job to like. <laughs> sort of nod my head and be like, oh, okay, cool, that's great. So you guys can get a Real Rock membership for I think 99 bucks at realrockunlimited.com or something like that. Yeah, 99 bucks, but that includes Real Rock, the latest Real Rock for which you're going to pay 25 bucks to either watch it online or go to a show. So there's some value built in there. That's true. And oh my God, see, I'm giving you a plug here. And Real Rock 17 on the website includes Honold's Traverse and Red Rocks. Yes, you get extra, extra stuff that, that you wouldn't have See, seen look, in the I, Well done, Jason. Cut. Well done. Thank you. Okay, so before we get to sort of modern Nick Rosen, and, mm. and I did not know this about you, and you brought this up on a ski tour, and I still was just like, wait, what is he talking about? <laughs> and I went and watched... You prompted me, you're like, oh, dude, go watch the trailer for the yoga film. Oh, and I think it might be called the yoga film. Is that right? It's not called the yoga film. I don't even really want to tell people what it's called because it's, dude, it's, it's kind of so humiliating. <laughs> uh, it's called, no, it's called Enlighten Up. Um, there's a documentary film. I guess it was made in like, what is it, 2006 or 2007 that came out. Um, yeah. And, and it's all, I think it was like the biggest sort of big budget documentary about yoga that was made um and it just so happens that i am the hapless protagonist of that film um this woman kate churchill i was a journalist and kind of a consultant at the time before i was starting to make films um we met at a conference me and the director and she just decided like you know, you are the sort of angsty, fucked up, cigarette smoking person I've been looking for to transform through the gift of yoga. And so I went on, you know, behind, in front of cameras, I went on this year long odyssey of yoga practice from everywhere from, you know, Hawaii to um, the 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 sort of darkest northern India, um, and it was um, it's quite quite the adventure. And I guess you guys will just have to watch the film to see if it worked or not. Yeah, so good. I have to say, or you could just hang out with me today to get a sense of whether it worked or not. I think we can already tell from the opening snippet. It maybe like how did okay? Would you describe yourself at all? Like, are you a recovered funk, fucked up, angsty cigarette smoker, or has that has that morphed a little bit? I don't smoke. I don't. 
I let's just. I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. Perfect. So there's that. Um, so that's affirmative. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So, and it's cool, but it was actually my first. You know, I was a producer on the film too. It was my first foray into documentary filmmaking, which is something that I had wanted to do. Sort of taking my experience, kind of as a journalist and writer type, to um, parlay that into documentary filmmaking, which it turns out it is pretty transferable, I would say. Were you modeling at that time too? You were a good looking dude in that film. <laughs> what? Like, you know, I have you, are you implying looking through the screen here that I've lost it somehow? Yeah, we're all like, you have young children. I have <laughs> older children. We've both been put through the ringer. Oh, this dude. happens, dude. Oh, dude. I'm, okay. I'm all washed up. Yeah. Oh, I'm actually, I'm excited. And this is, I don't know if this will make it in there. I, you know, I'm five months out from the knee surgery. Yeah. I ran 90 minutes the other day. Oh man. Congrats. Like it's like a miracle, dude. That's inspiring. And I am headed to climb with my older one in the Tetons. Awesome. In dude. A day. Well, that's going to, so we'll see how that's going to test it. It could test it. And he's like, oh, bring crampons in case it's icy up high. I'm like, dude, if I need crampons, this is not happening. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Good luck. Okay. Good luck. So one of the reasons that I wanted to chat with you is, um, I mean, I would I would assert that, you know, and I'm trying to be all dance. I'm not going to dance around this, but I, I mean, I, I've been fairly outspoken in other things I've written in that I'm not a huge fan of sort of modern day ski films. You know, I have a tough time uh, go, you know, and I went last year, it's like, okay, let's, let's go, let's sit and watch, you know, I'm not going to throw any production houses under the bus here, but like go watch a film, but it, it doesn't necessarily matter which film I'm going to. They all kind of have the same or similar mold, similar narrative arc, which is a lot of burly sending tends to be a little bit like aggressive tunes. Uh, it used to be a lot of helicopters. Now it's sort of the cool thing is like, hey, we're doing human powered stuff and maybe sometimes we'll have a helicopter here and there. Or drones. Um, it doesn't always resonate mm -hmm. for me. And that's a real short summary. Whereas I have found historically, and I have always enjoyed climbing, um, I could sit down and watch a lot of different climbing films and mm. love it. Well, I'm just curious, what, what is it that you're looking for in ski films that you're not getting? Uh, human connection. That I, I want to care. Mm -hmm. mm. So maybe also like story. Yeah. Because it's hard to care without story, without stakes, background on your characters, yeah. getting to know the characters, and then understanding what they're up against. Uh, it's kind of the only way you can quote-unquote care yeah i mean i think that the trope would be like they're up against the mountain and mitigating avalanche risk and the pull of gravity and so uh -huh. forth but that's like known they're all we're all confronting uh -huh. that yeah. in some capacity um mm -hmm. so 
Yeah. Well, so I would just say, I mean, I think that the dip, it seems like maybe, and you know, podcasts aren't good without a little friction, a little argument. So I might push back against what your premise a little bit. Um, yeah, because, because I did do my homework as well. Oh, good. Okay. Well, but only because, yeah. well, I think what you're, but you're comparing apples and oranges. I think if what you're comparing is like that you went to the lo- latest ski film tour, um, you know, TGR or um, Warren Miller, and you saw what those guys are doing is, you know, the pejorative way of describing it is ski porn, but it doesn't have to be pejorative. Um, you know, they're creating poetry and um, and and a feeling of this uh, and stoke through these beautiful images, beautifully captured images, um, music. Sometimes rad music just depends on your 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 taste. Sure. Um, no story generally, maybe some premise or something, some slight, uh, you know, a little bit of character peppered on top is always good um, in a ski film. But like most people are not going to that ski movie to see story or to care. They're looking to just get stoked and see this thing. And so I and I think on its own merits, it's succeeding. And if you're comparing that to um, a film at Real Rock where, you know, we do have sports action for sure. um, And that's like what some people prefer, even I think a sizable part of the audience. Um, But because of both the advantages and the limitations of climbing stories, um, we inject them with a ton of documentary storytelling. And that's just our style. And they're just so they're two different. Um, things satisfying, pushing two different, um, you know, buttons, uh, I think for people. And so you can't really compare those two. I mean, you could compare, say, documentary, like formal story driven ski documentaries to climbing documentaries, and that would maybe be a fair fight. Um, but yeah, so yeah, but so let me, yeah, I clearly, and I will admit this, I'm not their audience uh-huh, uh-huh. right like i like to get stoked and i love to get stoked and like for example my gosh i i really need to reach out to him and interview this guy his name is slipping my mind but he did a series of ski films for arcteryx mm. maybe seven years ago and they're really sort of meditative and Calm. Was it the Norwegian dude you were talking It's no, about? no, no, it's okay. not. Nikolai right. Schirmer's kind of newer on the scene. He's like okay. a reformed freeride mm-hmm. tour dude who happens to be like very savvy, I think, savvy storyteller. But these are like dated, yeah. these are more dated. But I can, those films, even though on the surface are a complete opposite from the Stoke film you were just describing, I come away from those with like an incredible amount of Stoke, right? Like I'm like, holy mm-hmm. crap, I want to mm-hmm. go on a 10 day traverse or what? yeah. So now, now we got to look it up. What, what is the, what's a, what's the keyword for oh my it? Gosh. Okay. Um, got it. Jordan Manley, I think is his name. Okay. Jordan Manley. Yeah. And it's cool. on his site is the series so there's something called the skier's journey yeah skier's journey is it and it has a whole list he's got you know crossing home china iran dubai japan so it's like geographic specific but in particular crossing home i believe is sort of the 
the final in the series. And it's really just about what's about a lot of things, but it is the antithesis of quote, a Stoke film. But for someone like me, I am coming away with a ton of motivation. Like I can see a 20 year old going to the Stoke Mm -hmm. film. You know, if someone had us wired up to an MRI machine or something and looking at our brainwaves they're like, we're Mm -hmm. it's, it's eliciting the same chemical response in our, in our bodies. That's cool. Yeah, definitely not something that would like make it onto a gnarly ski tour. It's it's slow. It's contemplative, and it's um, and, yeah. yeah. So, but I I guess going back to like and yes, I guess podcasts. I don't want this to become like whatever those dudes on ESPN were like screaming at each other. But I'm clearly not the traditional Stoke film audience. Mm-hmm. But I would assert, mm-hmm. right? I would like to see more near like mm-hmm. a good narrative arc yeah when i went to real rock this year i mean every single one of those films you know even if you were a kid going for stoke there was a like a narrative arc there mm-hmm. to like engage with yeah yeah well so so i guess that what we should explore is the premise is you know which i can accept your premise on its own terms which is like why are there not more um, ski like story driven documentaries about skiing as much as there are climbing. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's how we originally got on this topic nine months ago. Yeah. Yeah, We started chatting about it just on a ski tour. Um, right. So I think like, I mean, so I, it's hard for me to speak to the skiing stuff because I love skiing, but I'm not in that world. I haven't spent a ton of time thinking about it. I know for climbing, you know, climbing, I think, like I said, um, the, the climbing stories are sort of pushed towards the story, um, end of things, you know, both for its limitations and its advantages, the limitations. And we've had this argument before, but I'll stand by it is that it is very hard. Like if you were just to like watch climbing, you know, the way you watch someone skiing. I mean, watching someone skiing has got to be one of the greatest pieces of visual poetry that exist. Interacting with the environment, going fast, these beautiful sweeping lines that are creative and dramatic and risky. That's what's cool about watching skiing is just the the, the visual, um, you know, kinetic beauty of the whole thing. Um, if you were just like watch, like even like, you know, Adam Andra on the hardest climb in the world, watching him, and first of all, it takes 45 minutes, maybe to watch that, maybe 20, maybe 15, but a while, you know, Adam is sitting there chalking up. He's probably falling a few times and then doing it again. Um, you know, Fred Padula, the esteemed, uh, early 1960s filmmaker who documented some of the, the, the first person to film in Yosemite on El Capitan, uh, likened, um, watching climbing to, to watching paint dry. And so, you know, it's just slow. And so you have to use both, um, I think, you know, um, interesting, editing techniques to kind of um, collapse time a little bit. You have to use really interesting camera angles, 
one of the real advantages that climbing has is when you shoot it, you're not just shooting a, a sort of um, unidentifiable person from far away who's going really, really fast. You're hanging right above the climber as they look up at the climb. You're shooting right into their grill and seeing the emotion and the pain and the difficulty and the um, psych dance across their face. And then you cut that with like a wider angle. Um, and you can like actually make a, a longer climb sort of collapse that into some pretty exciting stuff with a lot of human emotion. Um, but there are limitations to like what you can do to, you know, to, to, to make climbing interesting. And then climbing also has, I think, some built-in advantages that skiing does. It's like, you know, if you take a climber like Tommy Caldwell, he has this big dream to go to climb the Dawn Wall, something that nobody thought was possible. People think he's crazy for spending seven years to do this thing. And he goes on this big journey to do it. And um, you can both learn, it takes the time to learn like the sort of real hidden reasons why he's doing it. You know, his trauma and his heartbreak and all this stuff that goes into people wanting to push themselves that hard. And then you follow him on this crazy journey that sort of transforms him, whether he, you know, succeed or fail. It's this searing experience. That is like a, effectively the hero's journey. It's the ancient um, archetype on which all storytelling is based. And so like, you know, someone go, you know, uh, Odysseus goes on a journey, hits these sort of like uh, obstacles in his path. He's transformed by that experience and he comes home um, transformed. And that's just like good for some reason that just really works with the human brain. It was invented thousands and thousands of years ago. And people still adhere to it very closely in storytelling. Um, most, you know, majority of films that you see. Um, and climbing has the, the advantage of just this goes to mountain or woman goes to mountain and climbs mountain really lends itself to that kind of storytelling, I would say. Um, and so trying to graft that um, story structure onto a skier's experience, I don't know, is it, sometimes it's, it can be that way if they have some big objective. Um, I asked you to go check out the man who skied down Everest, um, about that Japanese guy in the 70s. Um, There's a very like, beautifully shot, very long, ponderous, verite film where they follow this guy up the Kumbu Valley, go through all his like, you know, things, and then you get to watch him ski down. I mean, that's pretty exciting. Like, I like that. I would like to find more stories like that. Um, I've actually been talking to climbers who are also do ski descents off of their peaks to see if we could get something like that going for a real rock film because it's so it's actually such a great payoff that like you know you wouldn't always get you know after the summit of say nameless tower or something unless they're gonna base jump off or something like that so anyways i i think there's a possibility for that kind of thing but you know a lot of skiers don't have objectives like that. A lot of skiers just go out and ski the way that surfers go out and surf and there isn't some sort of structure built into their experience. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know, but something tells me that as part part has something to do with why you see like 
a limited amount of that. Yeah, it's a lot there. And I wasn't even thinking about, but like surfing culture is rife with, you know, again, like a really solid catalog of narrative storytelling, not simply just like. Is there? Are there better ski, better surf movies than ski movies? I, I'm going to get let's, nailed on this. Let's, but let's, like, atta- I think, let's attack that boy, question. Because I, I, I have to edit some of this shit out. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm maybe misspeaking here, but like I think of back over the course of a couple of decades. Yeah. And again, I, I, I think I brought this out up when you were on my porch. We don't have to repeat the exact conversation, but I enjoyed sure. riding Giants back in the day. I mean, you got. Okay. You. Me too. Yeah, I mean, you certainly were able to. Okay, so so that's one in the surfing column of surfing, you know, narrative documentaries. I would say that one's like a little bit of an exception because it's actually a, a historical survey film. Um, it was a huge inspiration, like for us making our film Valley Uprising, which you know, in Valley Uprising, and I'm sure Stacy Peralta, you know had the same kind of thing, but we didn't have to worry as much about following a story the way we're talking about this, because it's just, you're capturing a moment in time. Most of it is historical. Um, you know what I mean? There, there was some, there was some stories within that, like when Mark Fu dies in the sort of second act and you're kind of following that, but you didn't follow Mark Fu as a character through the whole thing. And then he died. So in a little bit of ways, that's like an easier, thing to tackle the question is what would be the the historical survey film of skiing that you're not getting that you want maybe well i think maybe i did see well i haven't seen the historical survey film of skiing yet which i'm sure like i don't know the warren miller catalog intimately and maybe there's something there's not i would know i would know there isn't something that was sort of a breakout sort of you know, um, kind of mainstream mid general interest documentary like that about skiing. Someone should do that. I don't know. You got to pick a specific thing, you know? So, so two things. And like, I don't necessarily mean to like intend to compare the apple and oranges thing or apple to apples in terms of like, mm-hmm. um, I'm not getting this type of ski film because there's a propensity, you know, the, the default is sort of what we were talking about that TGR type film, which is a little, yeah. you know, But what I'm saying just in general, Mm -hmm. every year, and maybe, you know, once a year, it would be great if it was two or three times a year or a winter or fall during the the film season that you do get these films, that it's not an anomaly. Right. Right. I guess that's what I'm saying is like. Because when we started this conversation, you were like, man, what are the, I was like, dude, you got to go see McConkie. Um, it's a very old film at this point. Uh, I don't know, maybe 2013. 20, yeah, 2013. So it's 10 years old. Um, but in my opinion, you know, the folks at Matchstick Productions, uh, Scott Gaffney and those guys, combined with, I think this was an important element, you know, they um, teamed up with this guy, David Zeef, who's a, you know, big documentary film editor who we know and friends with who I find very talented. Yeah, they chose to tell the story of Shane McConkey. And that film, I think, rivals any adventure film documentary out there because, you know, they took this guy's life. Um, it was happened after, you know, McConkey died. They they got to the root, the real psychological um, root of like what drove him. And it was 
brilliant and funny and you just realize that this like legend superstar is just this like angsty teenager trying to get his dad's attention and his dad was this distant asshole and he they they crafted that epic idea into a great film i thought um i don't know yeah Uh, we so i watched that last night oh wow cool and yeah so dana dana's my wife we yeah yeah who never watches and dana's dana's a good uh test subject for this because she's not in the culture per se she's a very smart person she's a trained primatologist people yeah she's a primatologist she like studied lemurs baboons she runs a really cool natural history museum here in bend there's that plug amazing amazing the high desert museum she's awesome but definitely not it was like hey will you watch this film with me i gotta do some homework uh she, she was blown away right Right? Yeah. And yeah. Were you? What did so you think? I, I, there were a couple of things going on for me. Because um, I recall you noting that they had brought in this more renowned documentary filmmaker maybe halfway through the project, something like that. I don't know. I don't know exactly how it worked. Like, I just, and not definitely, I'm sure not to take anything away from the other. I think there's like five directors listed yeah, on it, there. I think it's the the cinematography the matchstick people but then you know and yeah cinematography is amazing i just know having worked with david zeef david zeef came in and like helped us crack a couple little creative nuts on the alpinist we're trying to get him to work on our most recent project just even as a story consultant the guy's brilliant and so i i I can't help credit him with some of that film's brilliance well there there's definitely a level of just image sequences. I'm not sure what you guys call it in the, you know, uh-huh. it's movie, it's film, but there's film sequences that are just utterly yeah. profound and really captures, you know, you're trying to sort of get inside McConkie's mm-hmm. head, or at least I was, I was like, okay, don't pass judgment on this guy. He's doing, and I've sort of evolved over the years. I'm, I am a huge proponent now. And you obviously have been around, many athletes who at, at the highest level who have, mm-hmm. who have died, who passed away mm-hmm. friends, you know, your friends with, and I've sort of evolved to like, we really don't know why these people do what they do beyond the fact that they need to do it for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of very attached to this mental health piece that on the surface, we mm-hmm. might think that this person is actually incredibly self-destructive and that might be part of it. But there's also mm-hmm. a huge part of like, they're having moments of serenity and that is truly, oh yeah, truly like making them get it's up in the morning. Medicinal. It's Yeah, it's allowing them to get yeah. up in the morning and it's like, how do you, Take that away, and I, I guess and I is that, yeah. you can you can debate. We're working on a project. Yeah, I'm working on a project right now. Where I'm going deep with that idea of that exploring that concept of you know really trying to be um, actually much more kind of forward and clear about the mental health aspect. Yeah. and um, I mean, I think it brings up some questions. It's like this person is using this to address their. Um, pain mm-hmm. and it is kind of kind of self-medicating the question is is it like fda approved the best way <laughs> the best medicine for that and i think that's a that's a legitimate 
question, especially in the project we're working on now, which I kind of want to keep under my, For sure. you know, um, under my hat a little bit, but like, it's a legitimate question. Maybe it is legitimate. Maybe, maybe it's as good as anything, you know, I mean, the alternative being going and taking pills and, um, you know, um, living your life um, through psychiatry, which has its pluses and minuses as well. And yeah. there's no one size fits all for someone. But like for some of these people, you kind of get the sense that like their edge is part of what they want. You don't want to like lose that. And um, it's hard to judge people for that if they're really like artists of their craft, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, did I like the film? I would say I 95% loved it. Um, And the technical aspects, the narrative arc being attached to like both his wife and his side, side note, like the, just like some of the fucking awesome, just like technical explainers of like, you know, how he came up with parabolic skis, you know, starting out with the, uh, with the big like water skis and stuff like that. And, and just the great archival footage of, you know, before we got to sort of this polished state of like filmmaking, you know, he was just, he had a camera his whole life and he needed one. He's in his college dormitory being totally just like, you know, testosterone fueled maniac and you get like where his impulses come from you know so here's yeah so i I actually so this is and i brought this up to dana a couple of times watching the film is because i obviously here i am podcasting but i mean like when i'm I'm just i kind of rather hide in my shell and like not be on social media and kind of things like that um i struggle with this whole idea of like and again, this isn't necessarily McConkie because I'm like projecting. I'm like, okay, what's really trying to flesh out like what's going on in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and folks should see this. This is a really good. It's like six mm-hmm. bucks on mm-hmm. on i film Apple Tunes, yeah, whatever. It, it should be at a major platform, but yeah, yeah, it's on several. Um, but that said, this whole idea of being performative, right? Because he has all mm-hmm. this archival footage, and I'm like, mm-hmm. and again, I always hesitate to say these things and uh, hopefully I'm going to have be bold enough not to edit this out, but it's like, would he in particular be doing this if the camera wasn't on him all the time? And in, by extension, a lot of folks like, would they be doing what they're doing if they weren't able to perform? Uh, well, in the case of McConkie, I feel like the film says very clearly he would absolutely needed that camera. That camera was, his wounded child's safety blanket from being ignored by a narcissistic dad. He needed that attention. Yeah. And even, you know, like, but as he, I I agree with that. It's been a while since I watched it. So maybe I'm missing some stuff. No, I I agree with that. But as he like sort of matures and he, you know, has a family and things like that, you definitely sense that strong. He's, he's contemplating like, like all these athletes do. They talk about like, oh, I need to shut it down, right? Or yeah, I, need to start I mean, being more calculated they, or whatever. They rarely do. Um, I mean, some some of them do. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to go down that path, but but I'm just saying, like, as I was watching the film, these were things mm-hmm, that I was thinking mm-hmm. about, and it's quite compelling. And I was like, damn, Nick, Nick nailed that. Like that was the type of film yeah, you were looking for. Is, I would say there's a yeah. lot of. Yeah, and there's a lot of base jumping. Like, yeah. if you're into base jumping, 
that's your film. Um, I wonder though, if it, the exception proves the rule that like there are so few sort of narrative documentaries you can point to that like I only had kind of one. Um, I mean, there's a few others, you know, we, and they're, they tend to be kind of smaller films. We're kind of plugged in with the adventure film world um, or the adventure like um, film festival world because there's a bunch of these. I'm sure people know you probably have one maybe close to you in your hometown. These, you know, smaller um, films or the biggest ones are like Banff and Telluride Mountain Film, um, a bunch of ones in Europe. They do kind of like circulate these um, kind of more narrative, more, you know, doc style um, ski projects. Um, and so, and sometimes they, you know, sometimes they really, um, resonate. Um, my buddy Ben Knight made a film about Jess Kimura a couple of years ago. And that's like a legit, um, she's a snowboarder, but like, that's a legit story. Um, kind of a smaller story in, in scope, mm -hmm. but, um, really, um, emotional and resonated with me. Um, also, you know, you kind of say like, um, Lucy Walker made that film, the crash reel. I mean, it might not be about like, Stoke. It's about the opposite. It's about the consequences mm -hmm. of Stoke. Um, but that's a powerful film. You got it. It's got to be included in any conversation about ski documentaries. Um, it's her film, The Crash Wheel. Um, and that was really you know, watched by a lot of people. A lot of people saw that. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just hungry for more of the high. Yeah, I, I am hungry for more of that. Yeah. Well, let this be a, uh, a call to action for all the young filmmakers out there. You never know like who's, who's about to like, you know, hit the scene. Um, you know, I, I, I remember there, cause it's kind of like, there's these subtle shades. Like this, you know, I remember maybe, yeah, 15 years ago or something, even more 16 years ago. I was sort of like at the Banff Film Festival here in Boulder, just kind of chilling out, watching, and this this film popped up um, by uh, these guys, uh, Nick Wagoner and Ben Sturjalewski. These are the guys uh, who were, at that time, the sort of force behind Sweetgrass Productions. And it was, I think it was called Signatures, and, you know, I had seen, I had seen a lot of like, you know, Greg Stump films and Warren Miller films and TGR. And I'm a little bit like you. It's, it's I really appreciate it. A lot goes, artistry goes into making those things. It's just not my, my bag. And then that film, I mean, these guys were probably a couple of years out of college. They were shooting on like the new technology was kind of just emerging at that time. I probably, I bet they shot on like five D's of these, you know, digital SLRs that suddenly made, um, gave this really filmic look to like super low cost equipment. And these guys were, went out to Hokkaido in Japanuary and we were filmed with like this cool spiritual Japanese dude with a, a no board. Um, and, uh, and a bunch of really good skiers. And I think they were just hiking, earning their turns, no helicopters, no, um, no, uh, drones at that time. And, but man, somehow they like licensed great music, like Bon Iver or something like that. And 
it was poetry. It wasn't, it really, and it was like, right. you know, there was not, a, I won't think it was really, it wasn't story driven. It was pure, it was even further out from story than some of the sort of TGR films, but it was just beautiful and poetic and made something out of the landscape and uh, human interaction with it that really struck me. Um, and so that was like this little, and I think a lot of filmmakers, bigger filmmakers, smaller filmmakers have adopted that style, but those guys really put a stake in the ground. I remember I, I recall that young too. up and coming, not letting any kind of sort of, um, stayed traditions get in their way and just do this cool thing. And I mean, those guys have gone on to, you know, illustrious filmmaking careers uh, since then. But yeah, I thought it was um, super cool. So always looking for something new and fresh and cool. And, you know, obviously so much has migrated to social media now, um, which has its own kind of storytelling, more personal. Some of that stuff can be really great. Um you're like Cody Townsend has mm -hmm. that series about the 50 um, project skiing big mountains yep. that have their own story built into them. You know what I mean? And cause he's got this mission, he's going to go and do it. And he's him and his buddies are filming it. I mean, that stuff's pretty cool. Um, it just, um, a few more questions. Like when you, you fed me a little bit of a teaser, you're like, Oh yeah, we're thinking about the, uh, the ski alpinist dudes who climb, bold alpine lines and mm. ski. yeah i wouldn't want to talk yeah. about who they are them? just because yeah but um <laughs> yeah but there's got, there. there's people out there women and men who are doing out there stuff and we don't have any project currently officially in the works about it but um it's a you know we've never had someone you know carving big turns at the end of a real rock film um off of a big mountain the logistics also are complicated. We'll see. Uh, but it'd be, it'd be, you know, with real rock, we're constantly trying to um, sort of freshen up the style of the content and um, the disciplines that people are doing. And so um, it seems like a no brainer to try to find, you know, some of these people who are using alpinism techniques to access, um, first descents from new lines that have never been skied before. Um, pretty, pretty compelling Agreed. concept. Agreed. I would like to see that. Um, okay. In closing. Well, it's over already. Really? Gosh. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's doesn't need to be over. You're like 45 minutes ish ish. So will you be skiing this year? I'm looking at your shoulder here. <laughs> yeah. So I just got rotator cuff surgery. Um, kind okay. of minorly crashed my mountain bike like a month ago. And so that means late February, I'll be skiing again. Um, and okay. I will be out there on the day. It's like February 21st. I think it's like. All right. Thank you, Nick. And thank you, Jason. It's an honor. Is it? Is it an honor, dude? We're just starting yeah. up. Well, that's even more. Of an I gotta honor say, like, I actually it. been thinking of you. It's like I'm a, I am a big risk taker, but this is mm -hmm. feeling like I'm hanging my ass out there and being like, "Hey, people, wow. I need you to sign up and support yeah. this cause." Because <laughs> it's a right, it's a right. paywall. We have a paywall. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me know how I can help. Spread I'm looking the word. for about a hundred thousand dollars just to make it real mm. cushion. Uh, let's see. Let's see what I got. Dead silence. Dead silence. I got five. Five bucks is good. All right, man. Hey, thanks for your time, Nick. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Have a great day. It's an honor. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the High Route Podcast. For the time being, if you have questions for us, send an email to editor at thehighroute.com. Don't forget those hyphens. And if you are into the backcountry gear side of things, we have a companion podcast called the High Route Gearshed Podcast to check out too. And you can find that wherever you listen to, or at least most places you listen to your podcast. Our theme music comes from the band Storms in the Hill Country and the album The Self-Transformation. You're hearing the track I See My Beauty in You. We'll link to the music in the show notes in our website. Thanks. I become